Good evening, Grace Covenant. My name is Sean, affectionately known on the staff as Pastor Little Sean. Not that I chose that name for myself, but you know, you got to respect your elders. <laughs> um, but my name is Sean Clemens. I'm one of the associate pastors here, and it's my pleasure um, to be able to share um, a message this evening. And we're primarily going to be in Joshua chapter 5. Um, the message or the notes of my points will be pulled from verses 13 through 15, um, but we'll also look at verses 1 through 9. What I'm hoping to be able to communicate um, this evening, just to tell you right off the top, is that in light of the epic series that we've just come out of with knowing God, how do we properly respond to God? Are we in control or is he in control? Because sometimes that can get skewed. And so the title of my sermon is Commander in Chief. And I think that there's a way that we need to begin to acknowledge or to continue to acknowledge God as commander in chief of our lives. Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who are beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who are by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibbeth Harlath. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their forefathers to give us of land flowing with milk and honey. So it was that their children, whom he raised up in their place, that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the, and the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. Verse 13, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in hand in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worship and said to him, what does my Lord say? To his servant. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Heavenly Father, I ask that you will help us to study this evening. I ask that you will move me out of the way and use me as a tool to communicate your message. I thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Let me give you a little bit of background of what's going on. Many of you are familiar with um, the whole exodus of the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And here what we find is in Joshua, there's been a changing of the guard. There's been a changing of leadership from Moses to Joshua. And Joshua kind of in this whirlwind, I'm sure, seeing his mentor having passed away, having taken leadership of this nation, is now beginning to lead the charge into the promised land so that they, the nation will be able to conquer um, these various cities and reap the promise that the Lord had made to them. And so right up, and when you see it right there in verse 1, they move from the west side of the Jordan River to the east side of the Jordan River. And in a show of God kind of amplifying the fact that Joshua was truly called to be the leader of the nation, he stops up the waters and he allows them to walk on dry ground, something similar to what Moses led the children of Israel through at the Red Sea. The fact that they were staging for war against Jericho, I find to be a little funny that God would then decide that it's time for all of the men to be circumcised. I mean, that just doesn't seem like, you know, if you're getting ready for war, for war or let's use a more common example like football. When you, when you see the football teams preparing, they're out there running their plays. They may hit a little bit. They may thud. But you don't see people actually getting parts of their body cut off in preparation for war. But God chose that time to have them circumcised. And so as we look at the main portion of the scripture that I really want to pull my points from this evening, I want you to take a look at verse 13. Because what I believe is Joshua, having had to circumcise these men, as we read in verses 2 through 9, he's reflecting. He's reflecting of all of the events that had led up to this point and where he is. And someone steps on the scene. And I want you to pay attention to the interchange because it happens really quickly, but the the, the, the magnitude of what the Lord says shouldn't be overlooked. And so verse 13, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? Seems like a, a logical question. I mean, you see this figure and you want to know right away, hey, are you a friend or a foe? Um, why don't you declare yourself, are you for us or are you for our enemies? But look at the Lord's response. And I, and I say the Lord because as you look at this account, though the title of, of, of God isn't given, we believe that this is a theophany or Christophany, meaning that, that Christ has revealed himself before his incarnate state, um, which we read about in the New Testament. Verse 14, he says, and he said, no. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Now, if you, you didn't notice, his answer to the question was given in just two letters. The, the commander of the Lord's army said no. What kind of answer is that? Are you a friend or a foe? No. Some versions say neither. Neither. And here is where I think the Lord... The reason why the Holy Spirit wanted us to hear this conversation, because it's in the reflection that Joshua was doing that we have to remember. And so I want to take you back before we go further into this question or into this passage. I want you to, to kind of look back in, 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 in the verses here. In verse 9, 
the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. What was the reproach? What was the reproach of Egypt? What was it that needed to be cut away? They needed to be separated from. Well, as you peruse those scriptures, you see that the, the children of Israel, this was actually the next generation that had come out of Egypt. And the reason why was that they needed to be circumcised is because God had taken the task of killing off the previous generation in the wilderness. And so their children, as they were born, they didn't keep the practice of circumcision. And so you have an entire generation who hadn't been circumcised. But there were a couple who had been circumcised. And Joshua was one of them. And Joshua, Joshua would have been able to hearken back to what had taken place on that day when Moses had sent 12 spies into the land to see what the promised land was really all about. I'm sure you remember it. The, 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 the account of the, of the guys kind of carrying some grapes and they had to, it had to be two men to carry a cluster. And they, and they, and then you were able to hear about the, the honey and the, 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 the flowing milk. Joshua also looked back to what the spies reported and what the interchange was. And I want us to quickly look at that. Numbers chapter 14 gives us a, a brief account. We'll just kind of peer in to what that conversation was like. What, what took place that would have him reflecting and understanding why there was a reproach against the children of Israel, the reproach of Egypt. And as we look at this, I want you to, 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 to really understand that it's so important that we think rightly of God. Here we find a nation who has seen so many miracles, so many things done on their behalf. But they didn't think rightly about God. They came up and faced a promised land, but they weren't willing to go in because of the perceived difficulty that was there. So verse 3. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? See, there was 10 spies who came back with the report that said, yeah, there's a lot of nice things in there, but there are giants. There are giants. In fact, we're grasshoppers in their sight, and there is no way that we will be able to overcome them. When you don't think rightly about God, when we don't take into account all that we've learned, if we don't take the time to really reflect back on what God has brought us through and how he has got us to the position that we are in right now in our lives, then we forget how great, how big, how awesome, how mighty our God truly is. And this confusion on who God is changes the game. It, it, it kind of moves um, the, the, the goalposts in some ways, and we think somehow we are in control. And so when we see perceived problems or issues, we don't want to run in there. In fact, what they did is begin to blame God. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? This was their response to seeing all the promises that God had made to them. And, and they were on the cusp of being able to walk into it. But because God wasn't just handing it to them and making it easy, the prospect of failure overruled them. 
because they had lost sight of how great their God was and the fact that God was for them and not against them. Isn't this kind of how we do things? I mean, when, when we, we, we received an idea to start a business and the prospect of not having the security of a week-to-week paycheck isn't there. It couldn't be the Lord. You know, the Lord wouldn't want me to have to deal with something like that. What do you mean go talk to that person at the Harris Teeter, Pastor D's Harris Teeter ministry? What, what do you mean? They're going to they're gonna think I'm crazy. You wouldn't want that, Lord. How often do we come up against the cusp of God wanting to take us to a promise, but there are things that he wants us to do. There are challenges, there are obstacles that he has placed in front of us that we are unwilling to go over there, that we're unwilling to fight because self-preservation comes in. Our own reputation becomes of more importance than God's mission. When we lose sight that God is the commander in chief, we make the decision. I was talking to a former military man and he was letting me, he was helping me to understand that there's a time in the military where there can be discussions made when, when there's an issue presented. But once a decision is made, it is time to fall in line. We may wrestle back and forth with God on what he wants us to do, those perceived challenges that we have, that new career, maybe the, the, the prospect of having to stay in a marriage that isn't comfortable. But when the decision has been made, it is time to follow through on what the Lord has commanded. Otherwise, we begin to blame him. We begin to think differently. Um, in November of last year, I moved from being a campus minister to an associate pastor here. Um, and that was, I was scared. <laughs> I mean, I, I ain't even going to lie about it. I wish I could be the tough guy and say, you know, I was, you know, I just took it and I knew this was from the Lord. I knew it was time, but there was an understanding that there's a great responsibility that comes along with being a pastor and that there's a giving an account to God when, when you're in this position. And so there was a fear on the inside of me that I didn't really voice to too many people. I have a couple of guys that I was bold enough to share it with, but it wasn't something that I broadcasted to many people. And with that on the inside of me, one day um, I was heading to go pick up my daughter. I have four kids, um, and my seven-year-old Cameron is um, on a cheerleading squad, kind of a performance cheerleading team, now on an all-star cheerleading team. And the thing that I thought was really funny is it started off as an after-school program, and she was doing a little bit of sideline cheering. Then they said, you know, we think Cameron is pretty good, so she should join the performance team. And I looked at my wife and talked to her about it, and are they hustling us? Are they? Because really? all of a sudden, they want a lot more money, for, you know, for the privilege of being on this extra team. Now, I didn't, you know, I didn't really know what it was, but I needed to know if my daughter was really something a little bit different than what we had seen on the sideline chair. And so I had to, to go pick her up. So I went a little bit early. And lo and behold, they were in there practicing. And the first time I had ever seen my daughter get lifted up, she kicks out her leg. I can't do it. She kicks out her leg <laughs> and she grabs it with her right arm. And I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, I don't know how impressive that is to you, but for, for a dad like me, I'm like, man, 
Then they put her down and they start doing their routine. They're clapping and she goes to the front. And I'm like, she must be good. They got her front and center. It was just a pride that was rising up in me. And the Holy Spirit just whispered. He said, man, I don't want to make a fool out of you by making you a pastor. I'm here with you. I am here with you. In the same way that you want your daughter to succeed, I want to be able to say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. When we lose sight of God being commander in chief, we forget that he is for us and not against us. And the challenges that are in front of us, though they may seem like giants, though you may feel like a grasshopper, we have to respond as Joshua and Caleb did. That you'll see like in verses 6 through 8 in Numbers 14. And one of the things that leaped out to me is is Joshua said, they are bread for us. God had designed them. This challenge he had put here in place so that we could overcome it. He believed. He truly believed. And it was in this time of reflection as he was looking at who God was that we need to look back at the question and the answer. Are you for us or are you against us? Jesus said, neither. He was reminding Joshua that this ain't your army, man. This is not your army. This is my army. And you are for me. As you look at the rest of that passage, Jesus says, but now I have come. In every situation that you're in, understand that God is with us. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And there is one response that we should have. And it's just like Joshua to fall at our face and begin to worship him. When we see the prospect of Jericho walls sitting out in front of us and there's never been a war plane established at that point for jo- at least in Joshua's experience on how to take down a wall. He laid at the, the commander of the Lord's army and he said, I'm your servant. What would you have me to do? He recognized his holiness by taking off his shoes. It's an interesting concept there because taking off the shoes was an acknowledgement of the defilement that he walked and lived with. And because he was in the presence of someone holy, he wanted to remove those shoes to to show that acknowledgement. But it wasn't just that acknowledgement of, of God's moral perfectness or moral perfection. It was recognizing that God's holiness is also an indication that he is totally separate than us. He's much greater than us. It's not a category that we share with God. Though we are his children, he is the creator. We are created. And there is absolutely nothing. You hear me on that. There is absolutely nothing that our God cannot conquer. There is nothing that he can. But the reality is God wants to build things in us. And so he puts challenges in front of us. He, he allows situations to arise. He is the reason that you're in that job, that job you have been praying about. He opened that door, but there was also that, that sandpaper that was gonna, he was going to use to grind you down some to look more like him. And it's dealing with that boss. It's not running from the job. It's not going to the new, new um, cushy job because they offer more money. I, I think of the, the testimony of Elder Green, and he said that the money was on the table with one team. I think it was the, the Denver Broncos or the Cleveland Browns, and, 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 and the Redskins weren't offering him anything, but God said, stay. 
How do you do that? <laughs> it's when you recognize that the earth and the fullness thereof belongs to the Lord. And there's always more security in being in his obedience, being, in obedience, being obedient to him than there ever will be in our own personal plan. We need to respond to God's challenges as, as we look at kind of the, the, the prospect. We're going into our 35th anniversary month. And God has put a great vision on this house to win the city. What does that even mean? It means that each one of us, God has drawn us here together, rallying us as he's staging for war. And though we don't fight with swords or with guns, Every opportunity, if we will hear him, if we will be in a position of worship and praying and to, to take the position of heart that says, I serve at the pleasure of the king. If we will do that, then we will hear the instructions, though they may be unusual. If you look into Joshua chapter six and, and you hear about it, many of you know they were to march around the walls and then shout and then do it again for six more days. And then on the seventh day, do it seven times. That, that's not necessarily something that, you know, General George Washington would have come up to take out the, the, um, <laughs> the, um, the British. I don't know why it escaped me. That's not something that, that would have happened. But whatever those unusual instructions are, if we will be obedient, there is great reward for us. And on top of that, there are generations that will be impacted. Final thought. As you look at the early church, you kind of read through some of the history and taking nothing away from the great men that God have put into place, um, the apostles. But if you think of just the everyday Christian, the ones who aren't even named or aren't given by name, there were many who were martyrs. They were eaten by lions. Some were tarred, set on fire so that people can find their way to the Colosseum. They didn't walk away from the faith. And 2,000 years later, we are sitting here because of their great boldness to believe that the commander, the Lord, the, the, the commander of the Lord's army was guiding them and was leading them. We don't face that type of persecution here in the States. So let's live out our faith likewise. Let's live with boldness and courage to do exactly what God has for us. And let's not lose sight that he is the commander in chief. He is the one that we are to be obedient to. Even when our flesh, even when that part of us that doesn't love God says don't do it. We push that aside and we're obedient to him. Let's pray.